0: Grace and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm Nader Mansour, and I pray this message will draw you closer to Jesus. Like I said, the the title is uh, The Promise of the Father. And uh, in the study, we want to deal with this promise of the Father, which is really one of the most important promises in the scriptures. This promise of the Father. I don't know if you're familiar with what we're going to talk about or not. We're going to see it in a minute. But what is this promise of the Father? And what does it have to do with the plan of salvation? It actually has everything to do with the plan of salvation. It is the key ingredient that is uh, the effective element of the gospel. This promise of the Father. It is actually no greater promise than this promise uh, of the Father. It, is, it encompasses the full outpouring of the richest treasures of heaven. That's really what the promise of the Father is about. And like I said, we're going to see what that's uh, about in in the Bible. So let's open our our Bibles to, to a verse that mentions that in Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. We will look at this promise of the Father. Luke chapter 24, towards the end there, it says, Luke 24, verse 49. And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, But tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. Does anyone remember what time or what event is happening here when Jesus is speaking? He's on the Mount of Olives. He is about to ascend back to heaven. This is his last, yeah, it's a little bit before then. It's his last opportunity being face to face with his disciples, right? And as he is departing, He is telling them to do something. He is telling them, I'm going to send you something called the promise of my father. And in order for you to receive this promise, you need to wait where? In Jerusalem, correct? There's a few elements here we want to examine a little bit closer. What was that? To wait together. together, Thank you. Very true. To wait together. Now I want to ask some questions and some elements we want to examine. That means that up until this point... That promise was not yet fulfilled or given, correct? Mm -hmm. Up to this point, they had to wait in Jerusalem. Christ was going to send it uh, shortly. We want to understand the significance of that a little bit more. What does it mean? What, What is it about this promise? Why was it not yet given? Why did they have to wait in Jerusalem? What are the elements that are involved in this particular promise? But I want to pinpoint something I don't want anyone to miss. For all ages of human history, up until this point, this promise was not given. That's according to the words of Christ. Isn't that right? So from Adam to Abraham to Moses all the way to John the Baptist, none of these people experienced the reception of the promise of the Father. According to Jesus, because Jesus is saying, I'm still going to send it. You just need to wait in. Jerusalem. So what was coming was something of great significance that had never come before. Are we safe in making that conclusion from this verse? We haven't even looked at any other verses yet. We're just looking at this one verse so far. And so this is just a few minutes before his ascension. He's talking about this thing that's about to come. Three elements that uh, we learned from this verse. I want to summarize them before we go into our next verse. That the promise of the Father was not yet given up to this point. That's the first point. That the promise of the Father, second point, is shortly going to come to pass in a particular location. What's the location? Jerusalem. Jerusalem. And third thing is the promise of the Father has to do with receiving power. These are three elements that we learn directly from the verse. We just analyze it. Plain and simple. So what does this talking about? Obviously, Christ was referring to events that would shortly happen. We're familiar with them because they're recorded in the book of Acts, particularly in chapter two. But I want to look at the lead up to that because it helps us appreciate something that maybe we usually miss in this familiar story of Acts chapter two and the story of Pentecost. So let's turn to the book of Acts, Acts chapter one. The same author, Dr. Luke, he finished his first letter to his friend with that account, and he begins his next letter, the book of Acts, picking up where he left off at the end of Luke there, Acts chapter one, we'll look at verse four and five. This thing that would happen called the promise of the Father soon or shortly after the ascension of Christ. Acts one, verse four and five, it says, and being assembled together with them, he commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father. Which saith he, ye have heard of me? For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days. Hence, he says exactly the same thing, essentially, but he gives us some more elements that we can learn. So once again, confirming that the promise of the Father was not yet given. So up till this point, so this is on day number 40, if you want to be specific. Christ resurrected on Sunday, if you remember. And then He spent 40 days with His disciples after His resurrection, expanding on them and the things of the Scriptures. The first few verses of Acts tell us that. And on day number 40, He's about to leave. And He basically tells them, wait a little bit, because I'm going to send you this promise of the Father. Don't leave Jerusalem. Don't go anywhere. Stay in Jerusalem. I'm going to send you the promise of the Father in a few days. That's what it means at the end there verse 5 where it says, Not many days, hence. And another point I don't want to miss here is, the promise of the Father is now referred to in verse 5 as something called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So that's the same thing. So when we talk about the promise of the Father, it's also the baptism of? The Holy Spirit. And this baptism of the Holy Spirit, according to Jesus, was not yet given until He sends this promise of the Father. Well, that's very interesting. Maybe you're starting to think in your mind, hmm, I wonder where this is going now. What does this actually mean? We're just examining the words of Christ. He said that, right? And there's great significance as to why He said that. And there's also something to understand as to why this promise of the Father was not ever given before. You see, something had to happen before this promise could be realized. And Jesus basically told His disciples, wait for it. Hang Hang around in Jerusalem. Don't go anywhere. Just wait for it. In a few days, this promise, this baptism of the Spirit is going to come to you. Wait for it. So what is this all about? And why am I saying that this promise was never realized before? And this is something I want us to keep in mind. What Jesus was talking about here is talking about a fulfillment that would happen in a few days. We cannot say, well, it was fulfilled before Christ says it would be fulfilled. Otherwise, we make Christ a liar. What Christ was essentially giving here was a prophecy. This is a prophecy, and, and how we understand and interpret uh, prophecy, we don't understand the prophecy fulfills before the time when prophecy says it will fulfill. That's, that's a major blunder to do so. So in this prophecy of Christ, he is giving a prophecy with a time element, with a location, and with an event. All these elements are contained in this prophecy. The place, of course, is where? Jerusalem. Jerusalem. The time element is how long? In a few days from day number 40. So all this time, all before in history, all through history, this promise is not yet realized. On day 40, you come to just a few days before the promise is realized. So it's about to happen. And then he gives a few other aspects which we want to examine a little bit. When we talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, did the disciples receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit up to this point? According to Jesus, the answer is... No. No. Did anyone receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit? No. Because that is the promise of the Father. So why was there a delay? Why did they have to wait for a few days? Why did not Jesus just give it to them then and there? Or at any point in history prior to that? Why did they have to wait in Jerusalem and to wait for a few days? He had to go back to the Father. Yes, we're going to examine that. We're going to see exactly what had to happen. All these aspects, all these elements are linked. Question, yes. (laughs) Okay, yes, no question. Christ received the Holy Spirit at His baptism, and, and I want to make some clarifications as we go along. Thanks for that. But what Christ is referring to here is something called the promise of the Father, which is something that will be given to the disciples. Mm-hmm. He says, wait for the promise of the Father, which I told you about, which is the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which will be given to you. And so this is something relating to his people. Uh, and let me go to another verse and then I'll make a clarification. let us We're in Acts chapter one, let's l- drop down to verse eight and see the connection here between this promise of the Father, this baptism of the Holy Spirit, and it also has to do with power. Verse eight, but you shall receive what? Power. After the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and he shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and all Judea and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And so this is what Jesus told them earlier, tearing in Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. All these three elements are synonymous. The promise of the Father, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the reception of power. And we're examining this prophecy from the master prophet himself. Okay, it's Christ, there's no greater prophet. If Christ said it, that's how it is. And it's important because sometimes there is a tendency on our part, and I want to explore that danger a little bit further as we go along, but there is a tendency on our part when we don't understand something is to say, well, no, no, maybe it doesn't mean that, and try and make it apply somewhere else. Some people might be uncomfortable with the fact that Christ said the promise of the Father is not yet realized. So up until this time in earth's history, all through the past, no one had the promise of the Father. According to the words of the master prophet himself. That's why I want to emphasize that. Some people have trouble that. They you say, no, know, well, maybe they had a little bit or so on and so forth. It's not what Jesus said. And it's important to keep that in mind. So I want to clarify something. When Jesus says you will see receive power when you receive the Holy Spirit, does that mean that there was no power before? Or that there was no Holy Spirit before? No. We know that the Holy Spirit was operating and working in the Old Testament. From the beginning of the Bible, in the book of Genesis, we see God's Spirit working and operating. We see God's power manifested time and again all through the Old Testament. What Christ was talking about here was something that was coming that wasn't seen before. And this something is called the promise of the Father. He's not saying there was no power before or there was no operation of the Holy Spirit, but He's going to send power. He's going to send the baptism of the Holy Spirit in such a way that has never, ever been witnessed before. And that is what is called the promise of the Father. I want to tell you something. All the operations of the Spirit in the Old Testament and all the power that was manifested in the Old Testament was not the promise of the Father. You see a distinction? In other words, Jesus is saying there is something coming that is so amazing that no one has yet seen. It doesn't deny that God was working in the past. I want to clarify that so people don't misunderstand. Say, oh, you're saying there's no Holy Spirit. No, there was Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. But Christ was here talking about something that is yet unrealized. So let's go to John 16 and say, why was there to be a delay? John chapter 16, in this prophecy that we're examining here, why was there to be a delay? And as we look at John 17, uh, 16, uh, if I can maybe use the board here, is that all right? For illustrative purposes, we will draw some a timeline here. And we will put the cross of Christ somewhere here in history and uh, maybe 40 days. This is the time when Christ was speaking with his disciples, maybe I'll put 40. The days so Christ came, He died, He resurrected, and on day 40, He gives this prophecy that we are exploring together. A prophecy given by Christ, and this prophecy has to do with the promise of the Father, correct? Mm-hmm. Can you see that okay? Or is that uh... yep. can any marker here be used, or are some of them you yeah, know, this is a bit clear. So we're looking at this prophecy of the promise of the Father, which we saw is tied to a place, and it's tied to a time, and an event that will take place. The baptism of the Holy Spirit. John 16, let's look at verse 7. Why the delay? Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is expedient for you that I go away for If I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. Interesting. Christ here speaking. This is before his death. Okay, this is a little bit here. He's, he's giving them also an insight. Sorry, about this promise that he gave a little later. He refers to the Comforter. Who is the Comforter? What's another name for the Comforter? Oh, yeah. The Holy Spirit, okay, or Christ. Very good, that's where everybody knows here. That's good. So the comforter is referring to the spirit, spirit of truth, or really it's Christ himself. It's the really, the, the, the very life and spirit of Christ. He says, it is impossible for this comforter to come until what happens? Until he goes. So part of the, and of course this is referring to the same Holy Spirit that he talked talked about in the promise of the Father that you receive the Holy Spirit, which will imbue you with power, which you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. This comforter is referring to the same thing. And so we have another condition here added. The reason why the promise of the Father was not yet received at this point or ever before is because Christ had not yet departed back to heaven or to the Father, as Brother Hugh mentioned a little earlier. So again, we need to ask the question: why is that? Why did Christ have to do that? First of all, This tells us that the reception of the Spirit or the promise of the Father has to do with the person of Christ himself. And so this is why we understand that the comforter of the Spirit cannot be anyone different, any different person or being other than Christ. It is intrinsically tied to the person of Christ himself. Something had to happen to Christ in order for this promise of the Father, in order for this baptism of the Holy Spirit to be given. He had to go back to the Father. And we want to look a little closer as to why he had to go back to the father. Let's go to John chapter 7. What exactly had to happen about this promise of the father. John chapter 7 and verse 38 and 39. John chapter 7 verse 38 and 39. Here Jesus is speaking again, and he says, He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, Out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. Mm-hmm. Well, the picture is starting to get a little bit clearer, hopefully. Jesus was speaking here, Again, another prophecy, because he says, if you believe in me, you will have rivers of living water. What tense is he using in this prophecy? Future tense, correct? Yes. And then the, the author explains it in brackets. He says, the reason why he's saying it this way is because this Holy Spirit was not yet given. And then he gives us the reason why it was not yet given. It's because when Christ spoke this word, these words, Christ was not yet Glorified. Okay, so we have a few conditions here we have to put. So Christ had to ascend to heaven, and Christ had to be glorified, correct? And so when He ascends, it also tells us, when Jesus told His disciples, if I don't go away, the Holy Spirit will not come. In other words, He's saying, if I don't go away and be glorified, then the Spirit, or the promise of the Father, cannot be given. And so, this is why we're seeing the promise of the Father is intrinsically tied to the very person of Christ. Something had to happen to Christ. He had to be glorified before this promise could be given. And he had to be glorified, I'm going to come to that in detail, as a man, as a human being, before that promise could be given to fellow human beings. Very important to keep in mind. See, this prophecy here is of great, great significance. And so we have a number of aspects in this promise of the Father. So long as Christ is not glorified, the promise of the Father cannot be received. It cannot be given. And so we found a few elements, like we said, in this prophecy. The place for the promise of the Father to be given had to be in Jerusalem. The time had to be a few days after day 40. The conditions had to be Christ had to ascend and Christ also had to be glorified. These are the elements of this prophecy. All these elements have to be present for the prophecy to be fulfilled. That's why it is impossible for this prophecy to to be fulfilled before. Because these elements were not in existence before. You with me? For example, when God says, you know, to Daniel, uh, the 70 week prophecy, and in the 70 weeks, there will all be be all these things that will happen, and and Christ will bring in everlasting righteousness and finish the prophecy and seal up the vision. All these elements could not happen before the 70 weeks, right? They had to happen within the time frame specified in the prophecy. This is a prophecy that also has a time frame. I'm emphasizing this because, like I said, there seems to be confusion when it comes to this promise of the Father. As we shall see, because it seems to us, and and the natural thinking is, well, hold on a minute. Are you saying the promise of the Father is only here and not here? Well, all of a sudden, it seems a little bit unfair. That's usually the tendency. So I'm going to examine that and see a little bit. But we just look at the prophecy first of all. And like I said before, the Holy Spirit operating and working all through the Old Testament period, there is no doubt that this was the case. But that was not the promise of the Father this is something else this is something that the world had never seen before this is something that is dependent on the glorification of Christ let me read to you a statement here from a spirit prophecy just to give us a little bit of an insight Acts of the Apostles page 37 during the patriarchal age the influence of the Holy Spirit had often been revealed in a marked manner that's all through history The influence of the Holy Spirit had often been revealed in a marked manner, but never in its fullness. That's the rest of the state. Never in its fullness. And that's what the promise of the Father has to do with it. has to do with the reception of the fullness of the Spirit, called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The fullness of the Spirit can only come if Christ is glorified as a man hopefully uh, some more connections are happening in our minds as as we're seeing uh, the picture develop. Why am I emphasizing this aspect about Christ as a man? The Bible tells us in John 1, I think we all know, we don't have to turn there, that the Word was made flesh. We know who the Word is, it is Christ. We don't perhaps realize that this incarnation of Christ is one of the most, if not the most, significant event in the entire history of the whole universe. Think about it. For the very first time ever, here is the Son of God taking on the form of one of His created beings. It had never happened before. He didn't take the form of an angel. He didn't take the form of some other being we're not aware of. He happened to take the form of you and me, a human being like us. That's the incarnation. And He didn't just take the form as in He put it on as a garment. He actually intrinsically blended, we're told, His Divine nature with our human nature in a permanent fuse or fusion. Correct? Never had this happened before at all in the whole history of the universe. And so He came as a man. And so the significance of that is very, very very important for us because the Bible refers to His name when He came as a man. A number of names. First, it's referred to as Emmanuel. You know what Emmanuel means? God with us. His name was not Emmanuel in the Old Testament, was it? What, does, what are the implications of that? Think about it. God was with us when His Son took on our nature. He never took on our nature here. What's another name that He's referred to as? Uh, the angel told Joseph, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. For he shall save his people from their sins. Or Yeshua in the Hebrew. Jesus or Yeshua, that's his name as a? As a man, as a human being. He was never called Jesus or Yeshua here. You know that? Because he never took on humanity. And so the name Jesus, we use it so often and it loses its significance. The, The import of the name Jesus is now we have this divine human savior that the world had never ever seen before. Every time you see the word or the name Jesus in the New Testament, it's emphasizing that he is one of us. This Son of God is one of us. He is Son of God and Son of Man. That's the significance of the name Jesus. And when you see it all through the New Testament, all through the book of Hebrews, every time it's used is to emphasize He is a human like us. And it was when He was speaking as a human to His disciples here that He's telling them, Listen, you're going to get something called the promise of the Father. We've been waiting. Heaven has been waiting for ages To make this promise a reality for you. It's going to happen in a few days. Just wait for it. Because in a few days I'm going to ascend to my father. And I will be glorified. And when that happens I'm going to give you the spirit in a way that this world has never witnessed before. Because now I am a human being like you. You with me? And so as your my brothers and sisters now I can give to you things that were not possible before I became a human being. That's why the emphasis is he had to be glorified as a man, as a human being. Are you with me so far? Just to paint the picture of the importance of the humanity of Christ. And this is why we're saying the incarnation and the death and the resurrection of Christ, this package here is by far the most outstanding and important event in the entire history of the universe. Nothing ever before has happened to match it and nothing ever after will happen to match it. This is the epitome and climax event of the whole universe. Second coming and all the important events that happen after, they are very significant, they're very important. This is infinitely more important. The other events after would not happen if this didn't happen, right? This is the heart of the gospel. When the Son of God took on humanity. And He took on humanity so He can have this connection with us to give us something and enable us to partake of His Spirit in a way that was not possible before. It is called the promise of the Father. That's what we're examining here, this particular prophecy. Let me read a couple of statements that effect as well. A review on Herald, June 15, 1905. A divine human savior, he came to stand at the head of the fallen race, to share in their experience from childhood to manhood, that human beings might be partakers of the divine nature. He came to this earth and lived a life of perfect obedience. This very interesting expression, a divine human savior, that's what Jesus means. That's what Emmanuel means. That's what Yeshua means, a divine human savior. And as a divine human savior, he can do things that no one ever did before. Never in the history of of the earth did we have a divine human savior, right? And even the existence of Christ here, all through this time as the son of God, he was only a divine being, correct? Now he is divine and human, wow. This is what it should do to us, wow. But may, you know, I'm trying to get to the wow effect. Hopefully with the aid of the Spirit we can get it. Because brothers and sisters, if we realize we as human beings are by far the most privileged species in the entire universe. Because the Son of God has our nature. He doesn't have the nature of angels. He doesn't have the nature of anyone else, uh, cherubim or Seraphim or any other order of angels. He has our nature. You know what that does to us? It elevates us to a level that we cannot even conceive of. And the reason he did that is so he can fulfill for us salvation. And to give us this very important promise of the Father. And so Christ ascended. He came to this earth before he ascended. He came to this earth. He lived this life as a divine human being. He lived a life that was never ever lived before. Isn't that right? He lived a life where he had zero sins committed. Correct? This had never happened before. No one had ever lived that way. It was a brand new life. We could almost even say it was a brand new person. A lot of people get, you know, very confused and caught up with the whole person and third person and all that. Here is a brand new life lived, a divine Human life blended together in the person of Christ, and he condemned sin in the flesh perfectly. Never before witnessed. And he lived, he died, he lived as a man, he died as a man, he rose as a man, and he's about to depart and go to heaven as a man, linked with his divine nature as well. I don't want to ignore that, but the emphasis is on his humanity. He always was divine, always will be, but now he is also a human. And so he goes up to heaven and presents to his father this life that he lived on earth. Meeting all the temptations, meeting all the trials, overcoming, defeating Satan as a divine human being, he presents that to his father at his ascension when he leaves the disciples. Because he's leaving here, remember he was talking to his disciples, and then he's caught up, and then the angels come and tell them, why are you looking this Jesus that went up? Well, when Jesus went up, something happened in heaven. He presented to His Father what He accomplished on earth for the acceptance and the approval of the Father because He's trying to obtain this promise. That's why He just told him. He says, if I don't go, the Spirit will not come. But if I go, I will send it. So you know that His going, what's on His mind is to send this promise, this comforter, this Spirit, this baptism of the Spirit. That's what's on His mind. And so let's go to Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1, and we will see how <clears throat> this event of the ascension and then the glorification of Christ happened in heaven. We haven't even got into Acts chapter 2 yet. <laughs> we're we're going to get there, but I just want to paint the picture's background that's happening to help us appreciate what happened in Acts 2. Hebrews 1 is where we're going. Hebrews 1, we'll begin at verse 8. Hebrews 1, 8 and 9, But unto the Son, this is the Father, speaking, But unto the Son he saith, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. Here is a conversation that is happening between the Father and the Son in heaven. And the Father is telling the Son, I'm going to anoint you with the oil of gladness. What is the reason that he is anointed with this oil of gladness? According to the verse. It says, it gives us the reason. Because he did what? Because he loved righteousness and hated iniquity. When did Christ love righteousness and hate iniquity? during his life on earth. Isn't that right? Isn't that what he demonstrated as a man, as a savior? Mm -hmm. He demonstrated day by day as a divine human savior, a love for righteousness and hated for iniquity. Mm -hmm. And he goes to heaven with this life and he presents it to the father and the father in essence accepts that. He says, because you've loved righteousness and hated iniquity, I am going to anoint you with the oil of gladness. What's that symbolic of? The The Holy Spirit. Okay, good. I think we all know that. Keep in mind, he is speaking to him now Not just as His divine Son, but He's also speaking to Him as a human being and as the representative of humanity. As the second Adam or the last Adam. And so when He's speaking to Him, He's not speaking to Him only. He's speaking also to all those who would belong to His family. You with me? As a human being, He's receiving this promise or receiving this blessing or receiving this anointing of the Holy Spirit. In other words, what is happening here is really none other than the glorification of Christ. This is His anointing as the high priest of His people. Because the high priest is to minister for human beings. This is His anointing as the high priest for people because now, for the first time, He is a human being He lived on earth, he dealt with sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, took that life to heaven, and now the Father accepts this life and says, we will anoint you with the oil of gladness above your fellows. You are now the high priest of your people. And as the high priest of his people, now he can fulfill to his people the promise of the Father. And as soon as he was glorified, he immediately did something, that we see in Acts chapter 2 on earth. You see, this was what was happening in heaven. This this passage here is what was happening in heaven at the time of Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, we see what was happening on earth. It was an event that was happening simultaneously. As soon as that happened, this happened. Let me uh, read something else as well in light of that before we go to Acts chapter 2. Uh, Review on Herald, September 13, 1906. Divinity was to be communicated to humanity through a divine human Savior. Think about that for a minute. Divinity was to be communicated to humanity through a divine human Savior. That's what we have now in Christ when He went to heaven as a man, a divine human Savior. And in God accepting the Father, accepting that, and in anointing Him, He is communicating now to humanity His divinity or his very own spirit that was the promise of the father that's what's to restore us completely or in other words that's what we read earlier it is the fullness of the outpouring of the spirit it's called the baptism of the spirit and so for the for the very first time ever humanity is made one with divinity the human family and the family of god is now united in the person of Christ, not in words, not by promise, not symbolically, but in reality. He took on humanity for real. It wasn't play acting, it wasn't a vision, it was for real. And this union of humanity and divinity in the person of Christ enables us to receive something that was not possible before. That's what the promise of the Father is all about. You with me so far? This is is fantastic stuff if we really really realize what we have in Christ. All these people here, brothers and sisters, they they longed for this. They they looked forward to it. They didn't have it. They had the the Spirit working. They had the power of God. But there was a fullness. There was something called the promise of the Father that was coming that they only dreamed about. Let's go to Acts chapter 2 and see the fulfillment of this. We'll just press on because our time is... Our worst enemy today. Acts chapter (laughs) 2. Acts chapter 2 and uh, these events that we're familiar with, the day of Pentecost, it's a reflection of this reality of what was taking place in heaven at the glorification of Christ when He ascended. Obviously I think we all know Acts 2 happened where? In which part of the world? In Jerusalem. And it happened a few days after Christ ascended. So all the elements of the prophecy are fulfilled. Let's look at verse 33. Peter is preaching here. I just want to focus on on some key points. Peter says, Therefore, speaking of Christ, therefore being by the right hand of God, exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He hath shed forth this which He now see and hear says, Christ is now exalted by the right hand of the Father. He has been ascended, He is glorified, He is exalted. And Christ received something from the Father. What did He receive? This promise. In other words, the promise of the Father. The first human being to receive the promise of the Father is who? Christ. He receives it as the last Adam, as the head of humanity. And as soon as He receives it, what does He do with it? He gives it. He he says, he's telling them, listen, this Jesus that you killed is now in heaven. He has been glorified. He received this promise of the father. And what you're seeing here in Pentecost, this is his doing. This is the fulfillment of this promise that he told us about. He's presenting this as evidence that Christ was indeed the Messiah. That's his point. So much so that the people, you know, they, they were convicted. They said, you know, men and brethren, what shall we do? Remember that? What shall we do? They were convicted. And Peter said, you need to be baptized. Let's let's read on. Verse 30 38. <clears throat> Verse 38. Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized if one of you and every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. What's he talking about? The promise of the Father. Now it can be received. The disciples had received and he's telling the people: listen, if you accept Christ, if you repent, you also can receive it. Verse 39 For the promise, here it is, for the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Brothers and sisters, this was an event that was never ever witnessed in the entire history of the earth. For the very first time ever, now the promise of the Father is realized because now for the very first time we have a human being in heaven who received the anointing as the high priest of his people his name is Jesus people in the Old Testament did not have Jesus they had the divine son of God you understand what I mean here I don't want to someone must say, hear that and say oh what's this brother saying you understand what I mean they did not have a divine human savior yet they had a promise of a divine human savior to come we have him That's what Peter is telling them. He's telling them, listen, if you repent, you receive the Holy Spirit because now this promise is yours. Now this promise is no longer future. It is here. It is a reality. And this is why Christ is the one who shed forth this which they see and hear. Christ's Object Lessons 327. Quoting Jesus where he says, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. But not until after the Ascension was the gift received in its fullness. Exactly what we're saying, right? Not until after the Ascension. In other words, the Ascension and also the glorification. Because that's another condition Christ gave. Only after that was this gift of the Spirit received in its fullness. And that's why He told them, don't go anywhere. Don't try and go preaching the gospel. Just wait. Wait in Jerusalem. You need something. You need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You need this power that will enable you in your experience and in your preaching to share the message in a way that has never happened before. Because now I am one of you. And as one of you, I'm going to fight for you. I'm going to be on your side. You see, there is something that Christ taking on humanity enabled him to do, enabled him to accomplish. He didn't just take on humanity for a show. There is a reason why he took on humanity. A very significant and important reason. So in other words, the promise of the Father is really none other than the glorified divine life of his Son. I'll say that again. The promise of the Father is really none other than the glorified divine human life of his Son. The life that he lived on earth, the life that he took back to heaven. That's why he had to go. That's why he says, Look, if I don't go, if the Father does not accept this and acknowledge this, he can't give you this life. But if I go, as soon as I get the approval, I'm going to send it. And that's exactly what happened. And for all this to happen, Christ, like we said, had to be a man. This victorious, divine, human life of the Son. Let me read another statement as well because there's some beautiful statement in this regard selected messages book 1 page 251 the holy spirit which proceeds from the only begotten son of god binds the human agent body soul and spirit to the perfect divine human nature of christ the holy spirit is this binding agent that binds us to the perfect divine human nature of christ That's the promise of the Father. Because the divine human nature of Christ only began to exist here. It never existed before. That's why we're saying the promise was impossible to be fulfilled here. This is a union that is that came about as a result of the reconciliation of humanity to God. It could never happen before that. The person of Christ as divine human savior. Uh, let me read another one from Zara of Ages, again to the same effect. There's plenty. I'm just trying to be very brief here as to select you know, the, the, the best ones that I can find. Zara of Ages 805. The Holy Spirit was not yet fully manifested for Christ had not yet been glorified. The more abundant impartation of the Spirit did not take place till after Christ's ascension. You see that? So before his ascension... They did not have the the more abundant outpouring of the Spirit. Now, hopefully you understand why. It's not just an arbitrary act of God you can have it, you can't have it. No, because it was was all centered in one person. Christ had to be a human being. He had to live this life because the life that is poured, this, this abundant impartation of the Spirit, is the life of Christ that He lived here. His victorious life, the victories that He obtained here. Isn't that right? As a human. He did not obtain them here or here or here. He only obtained them here. And that is the fullness. That is the fused, victorious, human, divine life of the Son. Now, I I am aware that saying this, some people might be uncomfortable with some of these conclusions. I'm I'm, I'm aware of that because in discussing this with people, people say, oh, well, you know, this might not be the case. Well, uh, you know, they, they might feel that the promise of the Father was always available. Because that way, like I said before, it makes everything consistent. Everything is exactly the same. It's easy because if you say things are different, well, you know, it looks like this side is more favored than this side. And maybe in some people's minds, this makes God unfair. We cannot judge God's fairness by our opinion of what's fair and not fair. The prophecy that Christ made The Bible says scripture cannot be broken. You cannot say that the prophecy is fulfilled before Christ said when it will be fulfilled. Otherwise, you're making Christ a liar. You're preaching the opposite to Christ. Now, some people are not comfortable with some of these conclusions. Uh, The problem does not exist with what I'm saying. The problem exists with who? Christ, the one who made the prophecy. He's the one who said when it will be fulfilled. So we need to be very mindful and careful of that, lest we don't, lest we make Christ a liar. He he said that the prophecy is yet future at this point. We can't say the prophecy is in the past. That's impossible. You're contradicting Christ. And, and it doesn't matter, uh, you know, which other prophet in the scriptures you might quote to try and prove it. Uh, Christ is the master prophet. You can't get better. <laughs> He's the master prophet giving a prophecy. It's a very, very significant one. And so uh, I say this uh, warning, I give this warning because, like I said, in discussing this with people, some people, you know, don't like some of these conclusions. Uh, But brothers and sisters, we fail to appreciate and realize what we have when we try and dilute what Christ is saying here. He went to great lengths and effort and pain to provide for us this promise of the Father. To then say that, oh, this is how it was always, or that all these people are the promise of the Father, makes everything that he did meaningless. Why would he have to go, go, go through all this trouble and, and die as a man, live as a man, die as a man, rise as a man, go to heaven, be glorified to give us this? And then we say, oh, but that's how it always was. It's not. We have something of so great value I really don't think we realize it, to be quite honest with you. We really don't realize what we have. Hopefully, today maybe we will catch a, a better glimpse of it. And I'm with you too. I'm not here it's talking. I'm with you. I don't realize as I'm preparing this, I'm, I'm getting all these wow, moments, wow, you know. This is incredible. So let us beware lest in our effort to try and defend an idea or a consistency in our mind, we make Christ a liar and we destroy his prophecy, and we destroy the promise of the Father. It's a warning we really need to be uh, mindful of. Let's go to Genesis 22. Look quickly here at the origin of this promise. This important promise of the Father. See, this promise is not the first time it was made. This promise actually is traced throughout Scripture. God made it to Abraham. Genesis 22, we will look at verse 18. God's promise to Abraham. Of course, you know Abraham. God told him to take his son Isaac and offer him. And he went through that trial and he he was faithful. And as a result of this, (coughs) verse 18, God promises Abraham. He says, And in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because thou hast obeyed my voice. Who was uh, God speaking about here when he says in thy seed? He wasn't speaking about Isaac or he was speaking to Abraham, correct? But the seed of Abraham, he wasn't referring to his seed or his child being Isaac or Jacob or anyone. The seed of Abraham that will bless the whole world is none other than Christ. Paul says in Galatians 3.16, he says uh, he's speaking to the seed which is one which is Christ. Not many, but one which is Christ. So in other words, this promise of the Father, this is really what's being told to Abraham here. Abraham was given the promise of the Father, which is... Abraham, one day, in your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. The emphasis here is, the seed of Abraham would be what kind of a creature? A human being. He's telling Abraham, Abraham, one day, there is a human being that's coming from your line. When this human being comes, the whole world will be blessed. Now notice the tense that God gave this promise to Abraham in. In the tense is very clear. It says, in, in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. What tense is that? Future. So I ask you a question. Were all the nations of the earth blessed at the time of that promise given with this blessing that's intended? No, because it, it is dependent on the coming of the seed. The seed has to come. And when the seed comes, there is this promised blessing for everyone called the promise of the Father. Now, don't misunderstand me people here were blessed they were helped they had power they had the holy spirit but that was not this promise that god is referring to here this promise is dependent on the union of humanity and divinity together where god can pour out his spirit in a way that never happened before and he told abraham abraham i'm going to do this because you're faithful you know abraham did he believed that and it was accounted to him for righteousness He believed it even though he did not even see it or experience it. Interesting. He saw it afar off and he grasped a hold of it by faith. We are not living in the same circumstance as Abraham. This is the the point I want to emphasize. We are living, brothers and sisters, when this promise has come to pass. It has come to pass. Abraham wished and dreamed that he would live when this promise would come to pass. Very, very significant. This blessing is all about Christ. Because that's where the blessing is. It's in the seed. It's the seed that blesses the whole world. The blessing that Christ received, this promise of the Father, is the fullness of the Spirit that He gave on the day of Pentecost. And you know what? He never took back. Isn't that right? He never took back. It's still here. Well, someone will say, well, where is it? Right? Right? It's still here. It hasn't been taken back. It's not written in a book 2,000 years ago and case closed. It is still here. This is why I'm saying, brothers and sisters, do we realize what we have been given in the promise of the Father? This is why when Christ was ascending and He said, in a few days you're going to get it, He was referring to this promise given to Abraham, the promise of the Father. In in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. So I want to close with a few other verses just to emphasize what we're saying. Uh, let's go to John 14. Because what was happening here was a first time ever occurrence. John 14. And it's repeated throughout the, the sayings of Christ, but somehow maybe we miss it. That is this is why I want to emphasize it. John 14. <clears throat> verse 16 and 17. John chapter 14. Verse 16 and 17. Jesus says here, And I will pray the Father... And he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. I'm going to stop here for a minute and ask you a question. Was the comforter with them at that time? According to the words of Christ. Okay. The, all right. Let's, let's emphasize the question a little bit. Was this other comforter that Christ was talking about with them at that time? Because he says, I will pray the Father and he will give. In other words, it's not yet given. That's the point. It's a future prophecy again of this other comfort that will come, which we understand to be another, hopefully now we understand maybe better, that it is this victorious, glorified, divine human life of the Son. Verse 17, Even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him. For he dwelleth with you, that's what was there at the time, and shall be in. in you. That's the future promise that was yet to be realized shortly. Where he says, I will pray the Father. <clears throat> so would it be safe to say that this comforter that Christ, Christ is referring to here was never available throughout this entire period of earth's history? Yes. Yes. If what he's saying is true, then yes. Because he, at this point he's telling them, this is actually just before his death, Right? At this point he's telling them, I'm going to pray the Father and He will give you this other comforter. It's coming. That's the fullness of the Spirit. That's the promise of the Father. That's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's to be endued with power from on high. That's all these elements that we looked at. Let's go to another verse. uh, Well, not far. Verse 26. Same chapter, 14. We'll drop down a few verses. Verse 26. I want to pick on the tenses here because they're of great significance. But the comforter, which is the Holy Spirit... Whom the Father has sent. Right? No. Will send. So it's not sent yet. This Comforter, this Holy Spirit. The Father will send in my name. He shall teach you all all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. It was not yet there. Why? Because Christ had not yet ascended or glorified. Yet, that's why it's not here yet. That's why a little later in 16 he told them, Listen, if I don't go, none of this will happen. But if I go, I'm gonna send you what I'm talking about. Let's go, to chapter 15. This is a few here, but it really struck me when I when I saw the tenses very Christ was very emphatic. He's telling them there is something coming that's not here yet. Wait for it. Chapter 15, verse 26. <clears throat> Chapter 15, verse 26. But when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. Same thing again. I will send this Comforter. He's not there yet, but he's coming. That was the promised blessing (laughs) that God told Abraham, in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. That's why Peter in the sermon, he told them, listen, if you repent, you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, because the promise is unto you, and to everyone that is near and far, to you, to your children, and everyone, as many as the Lord shall call. That is the promise that God told Abraham, in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Peter was telling them, come and receive this blessing. Come and receive this gift of the Holy Spirit. It's here now. We remember when Jesus told us that it's coming soon. It's here now, because Peter was listening to what this uh, when, when this discussion, when these words were spoken by Jesus here, John 15, 26. Let, let's look at our last one, John 16, verse 13. John 16, 13. How be it, when he, the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. Again, the emphasis is on future. Yeah. Something is coming when the spirit of truth is coming, when this comforter is coming. So someone might say, well, brother, are you trying to tell me that we have this comforter here that these people did not have over here? Yes, exactly. And I'm not telling you this. Jesus himself said this. You know, if you think about that for a minute, honestly, it should really, you know, awaken our minds and our, and our spiritual senses that we have something so outstanding that people before could only wish they had what are we doing with it that's the question how are we appreciating that and and this is why I want to I want to throw out this challenge as well if if you are uncomfortable with, with the words of Christ or if you don't like the words of Christ for whatever reason I appeal to you to really reconsider maybe whatever ideas or theories you might have. I'm not necessarily meaning anyone here, but uh, if, if, if you believe that the comforter that Christ was talking about was always present, you are contradicting the words of Christ. Christ was talking about a fullness of an outpouring that was still future as of this point and this point. It hadn't happened yet. To say otherwise is to make Christ a liar. And brothers and sisters, I really don't care who you might quote to try and prove that what Christ said is false. It, it, it doesn't matter what prophet you might quote, because this is what happens, you share something with people, you share with the words of Jesus with someone, and someone says, oh, hold on, but but this brother said here, or, or this sister, we have a quote, or maybe spirit of prophecy or something, as if spirit of prophecy is going to contradict the words of Christ. I'm giving you, I'm reading to you, the words ...of the teacher, the master himself. He said that, not me. And there is no human being on this earth... ...that you can quote to contradict what he said. We are Christians, right? Christ says that. And he says that for a reason, by the way. Hopefully we understand that a little bit better today, the reason. And, and the point is to appreciate what we have. Because every effort... To say everything is the same or they all had some of these blessings that Christ was talking about here, this fullness was always here, actually diminishes and destroys the whole point of Christ. We have to really be mindful of that. This Holy Spirit's here. I'll close with just a couple of quotes to that effect. We're, we're almost out of time. Oh, we're not? Okay, good. I want to, I wanna, you know, the words of Christ are, for me, it's case closed. You know, it doesn't matter any other, even Bible author, any other prophet, all are secondary. The Lord Himself has spoken. That's case closed. But I want to, for the sake of clarity and for those who might find it a little bit difficult to maybe accept some of these conclusions... Uh, I want to quote a couple of uh, statements that will help paint it better. But as far as I'm concerned, Jesus has spoken. And hopefully that should be enough for everyone. Let me read something here as to the fullness that we now have available. Signs of the Times, August 7, 1901. Yes, in giving us the Holy Spirit, it was impossible for God to give more. That's the promise of the Father. To this gift, nothing could be added. By it, all needs are supplied. The Holy Spirit is the vital presence of God. And if appreciated, will call forth praise and thanksgiving and will ever be springing up unto everlasting life. This is the fullness of the Spirit that's being referred to here. (coughs) The promise of the Father. The restoration of the Spirit is the covenant of grace. That's the promise of the Father. So in other words, the promise of the Father is also referred to in this Spirit prophecy as the covenant, I'll just abbreviate, of grace. That's why in the Old Testament you have prophecies about the grace that should come. They had grace, but there was more coming. They had the Spirit, but the fullness was not there yet. It was coming. Now we have it, and it tells us here, there is no more that God can do. There is nothing more that He can give to top up. We have reached the maximum as far as God giving the fullness of the Spirit. We re- do we realize that? There is no more coming. Latter rain and all that stuff, you talk about the maximum is already here. The latter rain is really when God's people on earth wake up from their slumber and realize what we have. And grasp a hold of this fullness of the Spirit. Then we will see something and think, oh, this is brand new. No, this is something that God has given in Christ. We are just too faithless to grasp a hold of it. Isn't that right? That's that's what it says here. That there is nothing more that can be added to it. And this restoration of the Spirit is the covenant of grace. Yet, continuing, yet how few appreciate this great gift so costly, yet so free to all who will accept it. When faith takes hold of the blessing, there comes rich spiritual good. But too often the blessing is not appreciated. We need an enlarged conception in order to comprehend its value. That's the end of that statement. So this covenant of grace. How else do we refer to this covenant of grace? This is also referred to as the? New? Covenant. Isn't that right? That's the covenant of grace. The New Covenant, the active ingredient of the New Covenant is the promise of the Father. That's why the New Covenant here was by promise. The New Covenant here is fulfilled. It is realized. We have it. That's what Christ says. Take, drink, this is my cup. This this cup is the New Covenant. Testament or covenant, because he was about to go and ascend and be glorified and give the gift of the Holy Spirit, which makes the new covenant, effectual. The new covenant is Christ living in you, his divine, human, victorious, glorified life. That is what makes it all powerful. That is this abounding grace that was promised. And that is what the scripture refers to as the comforter. And not until the incarnation and death and resurrection of Christ was that possible, like we said. I want to read another statement that I came across not long ago. And this statement really surprised me because I had never seen it before. So if you've been falling asleep or kind of thinking, uh, you know, almost timing out, just, just uh, give me your attention. I really want you to pay attention to this particular statement because I th- it, it summarizes what we said but it has some incredible insights. Not much, I won't build up the tension too much, but here it is. The atonement of Christ sealed forever the everlasting covenant of grace. It was the fulfilling of every condition upon which God suspended the free communication of grace to the human family. Every barrier was then broken down, which intercepted the freest exercise of grace, mercy, peace, and love to the most guilty of Adam's race. Bible Commentary, Volume 7, page 933. I don't know if you caught that, but I want to visit that again just briefly here. The atonement of Christ sealed forever the everlasting covenant of grace. What event is this? On the cross. When Christ died as the atoning sacrifice for sin. It sealed forever the covenant of grace or the new covenant because a covenant is confirmed and ratified with blood without the shedding of blood there is no remission of sins and even the first covenant we're told was not confirmed except with blood so the death of christ sealed the everlasting covenant so what does sealed mean made it permanent unchanging right Permanent, unchanging. It also, it also means it ratified it. it. It affirmed it. It confirmed it. It made it valid. If you have a document that doesn't have an official seal, it's invalid. That one that has a seal is valid. And so he validated and made effectual this covenant of grace. Now, I'll read the next part. It was, this death of Christ, this atoning sacrifice, it was the fulfilling of every condition upon which God suspended the free communication of grace to the human family. So before there, there were conditions that suspended the communication, the free communication of grace to humanity. What does suspended mean? Stopped. Stopped or hindered, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Or delayed. Mm -hmm. So all this time, there were things that hindered or suspended God from communicating His grace freely. So there was grace, but not the fullness of it. I'll keep reading. Every barrier was then broken down at the cross, which intercepted the freest exercise of grace, mercy, peace, and love to the most guilty of Adam's race. Did you catch that? All during this time there were barriers that intercepted the free communication of God's grace and mercy and peace and love to humanity. Wow. What was do you ever thought about it? What was that barrier? It was sin and it was Satan who for all this time was still undefeated. He was only defeated here. And because of that, this functioned as, as a block or it functioned as a stop that prevented God from fully pouring out the fullness of the Spirit and the fullness of grace. When Christ came, He dealt with all this. And this is why now the floodgates are literally open. Because here Satan has been defeated. Sin has been condemned in the flesh. Humanity has been reconciled to God. All these things were accomplished here. So when I read that statement, I thought, wow, that's exactly what Jesus was talking about. And it's a powerful confirmation. Anyway, I won't go into great detail in it. But when I saw it, I was quite, I was quite surprised, like I said, because I'd not seen it before. And so Christ accomplished all that, and this is what the promise of the Father was. And so this is why, in closing here, this is why I want us to just ponder these thoughts and think about what we now have in Christ, what it means to be in the new covenant, in this covenant of grace, to have received the promise of the Father. That's why the Apostle Paul talks about it in Hebrews 11 at the end of that chapter, he says, God prepared something better for us than all these heroes of faith that lived here. And then he says, God prepared something better for us. You know what that better thing that God prepared for us is? It's this promise of the Father. Because it was never received here. Only here, this promise of the Father has to do with the new covenant, has to do with the covenant of grace, has to do with the better priesthood of Christ, a better ministry, a better sanctuary, a better covenant, better, sa- better everything. The fullness of the outpouring of God's blessing. That is the promise of the Father. So here's my appeal and here's my challenge to you today. Have you received the promise of the Father? You don't have to answer. I just want you to think about it. Have I received the promise of the Father? Because this is really what it's all about. It's good to learn, oh, yeah, these are all neat and they fit really well and all that. But what's the point? Have we received it? We have it already given in Christ. Have you, have I received the promise of the Father? Is it seen in our lives or not? Is it just a theory written in a book or is it a reality lived in our lives? That's really the whole point of it. it Do we have the promise of the Father? Victory? Is it a life of victory? Yes, of course, it is a life of victory. It is the life and the victory of Christ lived out in our experience, lived out in our lives. Because the Bible tells us, as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God. So this is my challenge, this is my appeal to you brothers and sisters. We have something. We have more than we even imagined before. Too often we are living like we're still here. Before the fullness came. We're actually living here. And heaven is longing and waiting for a people who will actually realize and appreciate what we have in Christ. This promise has been given. Have you? Have I received it? If you were blessed by this message, remember to subscribe and share it with others. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Your prayers and support are appreciated. May God richly bless you through His Son, Jesus.